0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, as always, it's, it's an honor and a privilege to, to preach today, and I hope uh, by now that all of you have had a chance to listen to Father Brian's uh, excellent sermon last Sunday um, for many reasons, but two uh, main reasons. The first of which is that uh, Father Brian delivered an excellent uh, reflection and challenge to us, uh, exploring last week's gospel, which centered on Peter declaring Jesus to be the Messiah. And that will be very important for understanding this week's gospel, in which we see just what kind of Messiah that is going to be. So these readings are very much tied together, and I hope you were paying attention to Father Brian last week. Uh, The second reason why I hope you are listening is that uh, Father Brian very publicly admitted in front of everyone his love of televised poker tournaments as well as the cultural juggernaut that is Judge Judy. I, I hope everyone enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, The reason I hope you listened is because uh, I figured that as long as we were in the spirit of courageous self-disclosure about our pop culture uh, interests and guilty pleasures, that this would be a safe place for me uh, to share my own love of Star Wars. So (laughs) I love Star Wars. I love uh, everything about it. Of course, as a fan, I've seen all nine of the uh, canonical episodes as well as several of the spin-offs as well. Uh, but with all the Star Wars uh, out there, um, my favorite still remains the original 1977 uh, low-budget George Lucas-directed classic, Star Wars A New Hope. And as I'm sure I probably don't need to tell many of you out there, uh, Star Wars, uh, this film particularly, centers on Luke Skywalker, uh, the protagonist. And he is being mentored, really, by uh, a Jedi mentor named Obi-Wan. And throughout the film, we see Obi-Wan uh, take Luke uh, alongside and really begin to, uh, to teach him and to show him the many uh, secrets and ways of the Force, which is this, this energy that pervades everything and that can be used uh, for good um, and can be used to overcome evil. And yet, uh, towards the middle and end of the film, we're thrown a little bit of a curveball because Obi-Wan uh, finds himself in a, a lightsaber duel with the main villain, Darth Vader. And um, Obi-Wan essentially allows himself to be killed. He stops fighting. And uh, before he is killed, he says to his opponent, if you strike me down, I will only become more powerful than you can possibly be imagine and and shortly after he is struck down and we are all shocked and we see luke is even more shocked he's devastated he's uh, sad he's angry obi-wan's death was not supposed to happen that was not part of the plan that luke foresaw obi-wan was a great hero inspired by the force he was supposed to overcome evil not be overcome by evil. It's a tremendous shock to Luke. And as I was looking at the gospel this morning, I could only imagine that Peter felt something of the same experience of shock, of confusion, of, of devastation, of anger even, that Jesus would even suggest that part of his messianic plan was to undergo great suffering and even death. This is the opposite of messianic power. Jesus was supposed to go into Jerusalem to crush Rome and its allies, not be crushed by them. And hadn't Jesus just given Peter and the Christian community extraordinary power to resist the powers of hell, the powers of evil? to guard the keys to the kingdom, to bind and loose both here on earth and in heaven. Where has all that power gone? To read last week's gospel and then to read this week's gospel is to experience nothing short of whiplash. Peter is experiencing whiplash. How is it in the course of fewer than 10 verses Peter goes from being elevated and praised as as the foundation, as the rock of the new Christian community, to being called and sharply rebuked by Jesus as Satan. How does this change happen? What accounts for this confusion in today's gospel? And I want to suggest that what we see happening in this gospel is two fundamentally different visions and views of power coming into collision with one another and causing the confusion that we see. We have uh, Peter with his own concept of power and what messianic power looks like coming into collision with Jesus's own self-understanding, Jesus's own vision of what messianic power will look like. To further uh, explore this notion of of power, of Peter's vision of power and Jesus' vision of power, we have to reach all the way back to Hebrew Scripture, to the Hebrew Bible, which which Jesus and the disciples would have known as their very own Scripture. And when we think about Hebrew Scripture uh, and we think of the idea of power, uh, for me, what comes to mind is the people and the nation of Israel. Throughout Hebrew Scripture, we see Israel as, as set, uh, set apart, as, as specially called out, as given a privileged and preferred status in the sight of God. In this status, uh, God empowers the nation of Israel to do marvelous things, to wield great power. And we see this perhaps best in the figure of Joshua. Joshua is a very powerful figure. Um, He wields power in such a way to experience tremendous success, military victory, and of course the conquest of all of the enemies of Israel in the promised land. That is power. But in Hebrew scripture, we also see another side to power, a different account of power. And we see this perhaps best in, in the prophetic tradition. In the prophets and nowhere better than in the prophet amos in amos 3 2 god tells the people of israel you alone of all of the families of earth have i known therefore i will punish you for all of your iniquities here is another curveball this may not be what israel was expecting when they receive power, is that this means that they will also be punished. See, ironically, it is precisely because Israel was set aside, because they enjoy a privileged and powerful status, that they have more responsibility, more accountability. They are under more obligation to hate evil, to love good, and to establish justice in the gate in other words more power means more responsibility more commitment to the principles of righteousness and justice jesus in the new testament seems to continue and to follow this prophetic understanding of power when in the gospel of luke he says to whom has much has been given much will be required and the one to whom much has been entrusted even more will be demanded. Now, we cannot be 100% sure what Peter had in mind or what he was thinking when he takes Jesus aside and rebukes him uh, for suggesting that suffering would be part of the messianic plan. But I would think that Peter's notion of power is probably a more traditional understanding of power. Uh, power that would mean uh, success, that would mean uh, conquest of, uh, of enemies, would mean um, perhaps even profit that comes with that success. And if indeed this was Peter's vision of power, then we may begin to understand why Jesus reserved such strong uh, language and such strong rebuke for Peter, calling him Satan. Because it was precisely Satan who offered this same kind of power to Jesus at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, in the temptation that Jesus undergoes in the wilderness. Satan offered a similar vision of power, power that conveniently skipped right over any notion of sacrifice, of suffering, of the commitment that comes with power. It skips over all of that, instead envisioning a Messiah who has all power, has all kingdoms, has all success, has all triumph and profit without any of the sacrifice. This is what Jesus rejects. Jesus' own vision of power, of the privilege of apprehending the kingdom, means greater responsibility It means greater accountability. It means greater risk for the kingdom. It means greater sacrificial love. And with this greater sacrificial love, that necessarily will lead to greater suffering, greater resistance from the part of the authorities and the rulers. You see, just as Israel was specially called by God and thus had greater responsibility, so also each of us and Peter, as specially called disciples, have a greater responsibility to pursue Jesus's sacrificial way of love. After all, what does all the power and privilege in the world afford us if it serves only to meet our desires for more and for more? but deadens our souls in the process. Jesus instead calls us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow him. Taking up our cross does not mean um, fatalistically resigning to our own often self-imposed personal burdens. It is more about taking Jesus' challenge of practicing a different kind of power, a new kind of power that looks more like liberation than domination, that looks more like giving than constantly acquiring, that looks more like sacrificial love than complacent self-interest. We, uh, many of us here at Christ Church and indeed the Episcopal Church as a whole here in the United States, um, I won't speak for all of us, but many of us, including myself, occupy relative positions of power and privilege. And I say that not to foster a a sense of guilt, but rather uh, to call our attention to the fact that we have received much. And so having received much, We are under greater obligation to take up Jesus' call, to take up the cross, to commit ourselves to ministry among our neighbors, our friends, and those whom we don't know but who are suffering, who are struggling, who are longing to see and to hear the gospel in action. I call us also to reflect on how perhaps at times we have become satanic in trying to domesticate. Jesus' call to radical love, to radical sacrifice in the cause of of justice and of following the love of the Father. This week I I challenge you to reflect on what power and privilege you do enjoy and perhaps also what is your idea of power? What does power look like for you and how will you use the, the plenty that you have been given in the service of Christ? I also ask you to reflect on how the Spirit also gives us a new kind of power and empowers us to further the kingdom, to do the work of ministry. And as I close, I'd like to end on a more personal note. I was expecting a, a send-off in, the, in a loving fashion as Christchurch knows how to do very well, but I was not expecting such a, a wonderful outpouring of generosity and love towards myself and, and towards Erica. So um, thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Justin. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Brian, for how each of you has contributed to my formation. And thanks uh, to you, Uh, each member of Christ Church who I have had the privilege to work with and alongside. It is from you that I have seen, not just theoretically, but practically, what it looks like to take up your cross um, and and to serve, and to serve as I've seen on Saturday mornings and in uh, the sacred pastoral care that you all offer one another. And so it is with that that you go uh, with my prayers. I pray for Christ Church, and I know in my heart that Christ Church will live up to its high calling, its high status as a specially called community of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.